7 to 8 p.m. Sport on with Tabi Somosia. Thank you and a very good evening and thanks for staying with us on SAFM and for joining us on SAFM uh, Spot On. I am Tabiso Musia, Katlako Mudiba and Luyolom Kalipi are producing and Sylvester Kumane is our technical producer this evening. And tonight we want to put the spotlight on what's happening in the schools as far as sport is concerned. We want to find out uh, what does the curriculum say and what are the programs that the Department of Education and the Sports Department have in place for our school. The majority of schools are open last week for the new year and as we all know school sport plays a major role in identifying talent from an early age and uh, since we are a sports show we want to focus then on school sports the kind of programs as I said that are run by these departments. We'll discuss the draft school policy for public schools in the country which is aimed at regulating the implementation of school sports as well as making sure that uh, talented learners from all backgrounds are identified early nurtured and have the opportunity to progress to the elite level. So we'll be joined on the line by the director General for the Department of Sport and Recreation, Mr. Alec Muemi, just to explain to us the different roles of the stakeholders. We'll also speak to the Physical Education Institute of South Africa because they also have an important role to play here as far as school sports is concerned. And we will speak to the founder of the Physical Education Institute of South Africa, Nomen Mpake. We did invite the Department of ba- Basic Education. Unfortunately, uh, they did they are not able to join us on the show this evening, but the show must go on so we also want uh, to, we also want to put an emphasis on physical education because I remember a couple of years ago physical education was reintroduced to the schools so we want to find out what progress has been made uh, since then and please feel free if you are involved in sports programs at the schools if you're an educator that also doubles up as a sports teacher or a sports coach do join our conversation and give us some insight into what's happening at the schools uh, you can call us on 891 207. Uh, that's our studio number on SMS. We take SMSs on 40938. We also do take WhatsApp voice notes on 0614104107. That's 0614104107. And we use the hashtag SAFM spot on for those on social media. But firstly, we are going to talk netball. That's following the Spa Proteas netball team's impressive showing in the UK leg of the quad series where they came up against uh, the top three sides in the world, Australia, New Zealand and the England roses and if you missed the weekend action then you missed a lot because our ladies beat England for the first time in England in 19 years and they ran uh, the World Cup silver medalist New Zealand very close yesterday taking them to extra time before losing on that golden goal rule and the cherry on the cake was Carla Mostert being voted player of the series so it Definitely seems like it was a successful tour uh, for the Proteas, but we'll find out more from former captain of the Proteas netball team, Ozanel Mdodana, after this break. <coughs> During the first two years of my marriage, I was stressed, began to drink a lot. My wife then told me to visit Men's Clinic International, as this was all taking a toll on our marriage. I did! I am proud to stand here and tell you all that Men's Clinic International restored my marriage and dignity as a man. So, visit Men's Clinic International today. SMS help to 32110 or send a please call me to 072-315-2574. Keys and fees apply. SMSs cost one red. As we celebrate the 10th National Police Day on January 27 this year, we take time to reflect on the year that 2018 was for the South African Police Service. We experienced a rise in cash in transit heist, political killings, gang violence, to mention but a few. 
However, we took control of the situation. Our men and women in blue acted swiftly, but silently to squeeze the space for criminals. Hence our theme, Quiet Storm. We honor them as we reward excellence during the National Excellence Awards this month. Our big thanks to our partners in the fight against crime. We have indeed recorded a noticeable decrease in crime during 2018 festive season. Let us continue to ensure that all people in South Africa are safe and feel safe. On a journey to a safer and prosperous South Africa. For the story behind the action, catch Tabiso Musia weekdays at 7 p.m. Okay, so let's talk netball now for us here on SAFM Sport On. We feel that it was a big performance of the weekend as far as sport was concerned and we have to highlight it. You might remember just before uh, the team, actually when the team was already in the UK, we did catch up with the coach of the Proteas, Coach Norma Plummer, who told us that she had a fully fit squad. Everybody was available and she had high expectations for this team in this quad series. And boy, have they delivered. And former Proteas captain Zanelle Mdodana joins us on the line. Zanelle, good evening and thank you very much for your time and for joining us on SAFM. Good evening, Tabi. So great to be with you. You were tweeting furiously this weekend. Did it feel feel like you were on the court the way the ladies kept you on the edge of your seat or in front of your TV? You have no idea. (laughs) I have never been so proud. I mean, I was was pacing around my house. I was sitting on the edge of the seat. I was standing on the couch. I was screaming like a mad woman. Even my neighbor came knocking. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, we're about to make history. We are on our way to make history. It is absolutely mind-blowing the way the girls played this this quad series. Um, They can definitely come back home with their heads held high. We are seeing the fruits of their sacrifice, the fruits of their hard work, you know, the the unity in the side. They played so well as a team. Mm. Everybody came through, everybody delivered. Anybody was put on court, went out there and and gave everything that they had. And that's and that's true that's that was true South African style. And before this quad series, did you all, did you have a feeling that this would probably be one of their best performances? We spoke to the president Cecilia Muloko, and I also felt that they would put on a good showing. I was with the team uh, when they played the Diamond Challenge that was happening in Bolokwane mm. uh, before they left. Now in January for for England, and I I, I was I was privileged to work with um, Coach Norma Plummer and learn from her and see how she. You know, she gets the girls going, gets them in gear and everything like that. And I, and I saw that this is a team that's well on their way to great success. You know, the discipline, the commitment to, to, the, to the team strategy, to the team goals, you know, um, and the discipline is just, it's just, it's, it's just phenomenal to see a South African side so put together, so focused and so determined to really go and be competitive against the best teams in the world, considering the fact that we're not a professional sporting code. You know, mm. we're up against England, Australia and New Zealand. Those are professional teams. England just receiving a massive sponsorship from Nike. So you can only imagine, you know, so it just shows the big hearts that our, our players have and, uh, and the dedication, the commitment to say, you know, South Africans, we might not be professional, but we definitely have the talent. Um, so I knew they were going to go out there and and um, and really perform well. I mean, we've come close in the previous quad series. And uh, the last one, I think we just lost to England. You know, I think it went to also a bit of an, uh, an extra time match. Um, but this was our time. This was our time, 
you could see it from the word go that, you know, the girls have a sense of belief that is just unshaken. And that is what um, what carried them through. Mm. Let's look back at the three uh, matches. Firstly, against Australia's Diamonds, they got off to a very good start. I think they were leading the Diamonds by five goals at the end ah, of the first yes. quarter. And the, yes. the experience of the Aussies showed. How did you see that game and what did you take out of that game? You know, what is good to see is that, you know, gone are the days where we would be intimidated by, intimidated by these top teams before we've even played them. You know, they sort of beat us. They used to beat us before we've even, like, you know, placed our feet on the on the on the court. Now mm. the girls are saying, you know, let's go, you know, uh woman for woman, you know, and, and it was really good to see that they could have such a good start. Um but it is you must understand it's also we play they were playing against the world champions, you know, so those kind mm. of things also psychologically start working you. But what was good is to see them, even though they lost their first game against Australia, picking themselves up and saying, you know what, guys, if we could start like this, we just need to have consistency be more clinical we can definitely grab a win in the squad series and and to see themselves to see them lifting themselves up uh, in the following uh, tough games i mean because england are the defending commonwealth champions so mm. that was a massive win for us and and what do you think they got right in that game against england to, to win 48 45 it was it was being as clinical as possible there was no fancy play there was no playing for the show they kept ball in hand. They did the basics so well. And our shooters were really exceptional. You know, I was really impressed to see Mareka Holthausen also coming into, into play and taking some of the pressure off Lenise Sportheaders because we know that Lenise is our number one shooter and all the defenders have always got their eyes focused on Lenise. But Mareka came in as a girl attack and that's something that she didn't do in the game against um, Australia. But she came in as a girl attack and, you know, she took that responsibility. So now the English defenders were sort of stuck and didn't know, okay, who do we defend? So it was more like man on man, you know. Um, and when they had turnovers, they utilized them. And that was what's so key for me. And they worked so well as a team on defense to turn ball because they most of the time so reliant on Carla Pistorius to turn the ball. Mm. But they worked so hard as a team from number one right down. They really pressed uh, and in England uh, when, when, when it came to... Um, to defense and that was really impressive to see and I think just realizing and believing that you know what girls we can really cross this finish line we can see the finish line all we need to do is just stay focused and cross it and that's what they did and how good is that is that partnership between Upumza Mawain and Kala Pretorius I mean where do they rank now amongst the best in the world no, definitely, definitely, they are definitely amongst the best in the world. We still, you know, there's also that that combination of Jiva Mentor and um, and her goal defense in the English side. I mean, they've been playing together for a long time, but Pumza and Katla are a really strong combination. They also come a long way, and also now they're playing together in Australia. They're in the same team, so for the ANZ, they're actually going to be really a potent combination heading to the World Cup. I'm looking forward to seeing how they're gonna they're gonna combine well, considering that they're going to be. Spending a lot of time now playing together for their for their franchise side you said it's a big win against england the first in 19 years with one eye at the world cup world champs which will be played in england and uh, does it just give it that extra spice that's just just how big it is yeah absolutely because you know we come from world cups where we always knew that it's going to be Eng- it's going to be australia and new zealand the final you know we knew Singapore is going to be Australia and New Zealand the final. Now this World Cup is blown wide open. Anybody can take it. It really boils down to 
who plays the most clinical game on the day. I mean, we also have Jamaica that we haven't uh. that we haven't seen in a while. You know, Uganda is also up and coming. So it's it's out for the taking. It's the team that really wants it the most, and the team that is willing to put their bodies on the line and go all the way. That is actually going to clinch it. It's not obvious that Australia is going to win. It's not obvious that England is going to win. South Africa has got a very good chance of surprising everyone. Um, New Zealand, who knows what 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 they're going to go back home and do now. Uh, Uganda's very good. Jamaica's got those tall shooters that that most of the countries are finding hard to defend. So it's really going to be like an interesting World Cup. And this is the time that our players can really bring back a medal. Now, how nerve-wracking was the game against New Zealand? Going into extra time twice and being decided on the golden goal. Oh, you know, it's actually actually quite a a sensitive thing, that match, because... Mm -hmm. If you look at, if you watch the game, you saw that time, we, it was our, it was our center pass and then we scored and we were leading by one. Mm. And then the clock, the time was done, the time was up mm. and the whistle didn't go. Even the commentator said, where, where's the whistle? You yeah. know, the whistle needs to go because you can see that the time is over and the time is up. And then the state, and then New Zealand took the center pass and they, and they sort of like one, two wing attacks straight to the goal shooter, Maria uh, Salau, mm. and they blew our defenders, Anela Vindela, for contact. And it was penalty pass a shot, and Salau doesn't miss from that distance. Mm. And that's how it went now to extra time, extra time, sudden death, and more extra time. And it was just, oh, <laughs> my word. But I mean, for our girls to still stay in that, you know? Mm. I mean, they were really being pushed to the limit. And then Pumzam, our goalkeeper, she apparently had cramps. Yeah, she yeah, called for time in such a crucial moment. Uzanela Zimbelu has been sitting on the bench throughout the whole uh, quad series, came on and really just, you know, she made her mark. And it was just phenomenal to see that, you know, players are hungry. And when given an opportunity, they're going to grab it with both hands. And that match really should have gone our way, but we'll meet them at the World Cup. Were you surprised by the lineup because she played a different lineup from the team that beat the Roses? She played in a Marie Fentier goal shooter and Linus mm. Potkitter at goal attack. What did you make of that? Because she did rectify it. Well, she did rectify it, but you must understand that, you know, at the moment South Africa is playing with seven players and you're not going to win a World Cup with seven players. Mm. You need to be able to substitute, you need to have a, a plan B, a plan C, different combinations. At the moment, she, uh, South Africa is only playing with seven players and we have the the uh, the the privilege of having two tall shooters in our in, in our team. So it's nice to put those two towers uh, in, in, in our shooting circle. But that's a combination that still needs time, you know, because they haven't really played together, uh, Lenise and Ina Marie Fainter. And it obviously just shows what a good coach that Norma Plummer is. The moment she saw that it really wasn't working because Ina got one goal uh, opportunity and that's the one she missed. She missed yeah. And then she was immediately pulled out, and then Mareka came on on girl attack. So, um, I it, she's going to need a little bit more time with the girls to try out other combinations because a lot of the players um, that travelled with the team sat on the bench. So you don't really know um, how they can cope under that kind of uh, international pressure, and you don't want to go and find that out at the World Cup. So they're going to need to see how they actually blood the rest of the players that were that were on the bench throughout the quad series. And Carla being voted player of the series, well-deserved, oh, yeah, well, I'm sure, from your point class. of view. No, she's world-class. She's world-class. She's She is absolutely worthy and deserves that award. Oh, no. 
Okay, we seem to have lost uh, Zanelem Todana there. As we were wrapping up our interview about the Spa Proteas netball team's impressive uh, performances in the quad series, they're going down uh, 60-62 to New Zealand, who they took to extra time twice. You heard from Uzanele that they had a chance there. They thought that they'd won it at the end, but the whistle just did not go. And then Upumza Maweni was injured, and then she had to come off, and then Uzanelem Vimbela had to come on, and I think it messed them up a little bit, and it was decided on the golden goal rule. But there is no shame for our girls who are not professional uh, to take uh, the World Cup silver medalist in New Zealand all the way to extra time and to be separated by goal difference, especially because it's a World Cup here. And of course, beating England for the first time in England in 19 years. Massive, massive results. And I'm sure they will take a lot of confidence now uh, from this uh, quad series going into the World Cup. We heard from the coach before they, when, 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 before they played against Australia saying that uh, they need to prepare well for the World Cup. We've got Uzanele back on the line. Zanella, just finally, sorry about that. Before we no, let no you worries. go, what's impressed you the most with this team under Coach Norma Plummer? The professionalism. The professionalism. There's no excuse not to perform. And, I mean, having had time to be with the girls uh, at the Diamond Challenge, I saw that, you know, it, it's, it, there's no blame game. It's girls, it's game time. Everybody, put your best foot forward. And if things don't turn out the way we want them to, we need to go back to the drawing board and see. And people and players take responsibility for their contribution. Mm. And that's a very important thing. Nobody says it's someone else's fault. This person should have done this. Um, What now I would love to see is that when substitutions are made, when changes are made, that it just becomes a seamless uh, process, you know, that it doesn't feel like, oh, my goodness, Carla's not on court, mm. and we, we can't seem to cope with this new player or young player that's come on. So um, I'm hoping that Coach Romapama can get that going, and then we can be a full package heading to that World Cup. Because at the moment, the teams know that these are the seven starting players, you know, and mm. those are the seven starting players they're going to analyze because they really haven't seen um, most of our other players. And how do we create that, that depth? Because I remember at the Diamond Challenge, there was a President's 12 team that was picked, mm-hmm. and I think the whole idea was to try and create that depth. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, the, the, the gap is huge. International, uh, or, or, and then at the African level, and then at uh, African level, we play provincially. The gap is just too huge. We, have, we, are, we, are, we are under a lot of pressure at the moment because I believe that most of these players What's now that, that are going to be playing in the World Cup are going to retire. Mm. Are going to retire. So we're going to be we're going to we're going to need to pull a very brand new pool and prepare them again for the next four years uh, for, for the World where they're going to come from uh, because as you can see the ones that are that are with the team at the moment are still sitting on the bench. They're not, not they're not ready to be on the on the uh, on the field. So it's going to be a, a great challenge for us as Nepal, as, for Nepal South Africa, to to find a team that is or players that can come together and build them and prepare them well for the for the upcoming uh, tournaments, Commonwealths and and World Cups. And we are bidding for 2023. Yep. And can you imagine if we if we get that? I mean, that will be announced at the World Cup uh, in July. Whether we are we've been given that a privilege to host. Um, then we need to really have a strong team. Um, and by then, we will have a South African coach because we will come and leave after this World Cup. Okay, great stuff. Zanele, thank you very much for finding time to speak to us. You really created a lot of excitement on social media uh, with, with your tweets. And uh, well done to <laughs> the you. team and to everybody involved. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving us the platform and just putting netball out there.
Definitely. Really appreciate that. Thank you, Zanelem former captain, of course, of the Spa Proteas and Netball team, just giving us her views on the quad series. They might have lost two of the three games, but I think everybody, everybody agrees that the tour, the quad series, was a success. Tabiso Musiya on SAFM. Okay, we are now going to speak to the Department of Sport just to find out about what's happening at schools as far as sports is concerned. What are the programs? How is their partnership with the Department of Basic Education going on? And we are joined on the line by the Director General of the Department of Sport and Recreation, Mr. Alec Muyemi. DG, good evening, sir, and thank you once again for finding time to speak to us on SAFM. Uh, hi, Good evening, Tavison. Good evening to the listeners of SAFM. Firstly, DG, I'm going to start with the netball. I'm sure you must be proud of the improvements and the success of the team because I know how hard your team worked in launching that Brutal Fruit uh, Netball League and I think the results now, we are, we are seeing the results of that. No, certainly. I think um, we are quite proud of our national senior team in netball. And also, if you look at the junior teams in netball, they are coming up quite strong and which is showing the investment government began making some six years ago into netball and the turnaround that has happened, uh, even with the support for the appointment of the coach and uh, with the new leadership of netball. We've really seen tremendous uh, growth and professionalism in how the federation is now being run, and we, we couldn't even be more prouder than what we have been able to achieve in a very short space of time. Our league is still not that professionalized. It's semi-professional. Mm. But you can see our girls are already holding their own. Uh, in the bigger scheme of things, comparatively speaking to what Australia, England, and those that have fully-fledged professional leagues, you can really see that uh, with time, what this league has, has done for our national team and for the growth of the sport within our country, we would be on a high, and uh, we certainly believe that in a space of five to ten years, we would be quite dominant uh, in the whole world. We are already in the top five, ranked in the top five in the world, and we have now surpassed Malawi to be ranked number one on the African continent. You're also supporting the B to host the World Cup in 2023. How important or how big will that be, not only for South Africa, but for the continent, because it's never come to us? Well... It's, 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 it's very important. We, we, we believe that the sport of netball being the biggest uh, female-supported code and biggest code uh, on, uh, second only to football by participation numbers. And uh, you obviously know that in South Africa, one way or the other, netball has had its way with most of the girls. Uh, both white and, and black uh, have played netball at school and have been exposed to it uh, in one way or the other. And therefore, uh, we couldn't have started anywhere better to, uh, you know, develop role models, positive role models for girls uh, across our entire breadth uh, of our continent and more so in South Africa. And as the decade of the African woman will be growing closer, we will uh, cap it with uh, the celebration of hosting Netball World Cup for the first time mm-hmm. on the African continent. And it couldn't come any time more opportune and as big as uh, it has come at this stage. Well, fingers crossed for that announcement that it goes South Africa's way. Now, let's get back to the schools at DG and what's happening as far as sports is concerned. Maybe we can start by talking about the different roles as far as the stakeholders are concerned. What is your role as the Department of Sport when it comes to school sports? Well, as you are aware, the National Minister of Sport and Recreation uh, is a minister who is uh, indeed by law, the National Sport and Recreation Act, 
is the custodian of all of sport in the Republic, irrespective of where that sport is being played, whether it is played in schools or it's played in universities or in communities or anywhere else or in clubs. Uh, Minister is the full custodian in terms of the policy and as well as processes of how that should unfold. And as you can imagine, uh, in this regard, our biggest partner will be basic education as the minister there is responsible for the schools, the children, as well as the teachers when they are indeed in school. So therefore, we have to have a dynamic uh, relationship between the two departments in order for us to be able to fulfill the mandate of getting all children in the Republic to be able to play sport at school. And are you happy with that partnership with the DBE? How, how is that going? Well, uh, it has not always been what it is right now, a promising partnership that uh, has grown uh, in leaps and bounds. Uh, when we started, there was a bit of a tough war. There were challenges. There were issues of personalities. And some of the personalities that um, the challenges would not be expecting a keen of government as we are supposed to be one seamless machine. But uh, we believe we are way uh, beyond that now. We, we have since signed a new MOU, and with that new MOU, we have clarified uh, roles quite very well. We have began, both of us, investing significantly in terms of uh, the work that we do. And you have seen some phenomenal growth from just about uh, uh, seven years ago when we had just about uh, 7,000 uh, public schools participating in the National School Sport Championships. We now have uh, a whooping 13,000 of the 25,000. We are, we are still almost uh, just below halfway of what we have to have. Ultimately, our plan is to get all the 25,000 schools participating. Funding has been a great challenge, mm. uh, more so because we start from a very low base. They are, they are schools that have not played any sport in the last 22 years, mm. and they are challenges uh, in as far as facilities, more so the backlog of facilities in rural and farm schools as well as many township schools that were neglected right through the years of apartheid and with the current funding levels uh, we would require at least 217 years of investment to eradicate uh, uh, the backlog of uh, sport facilities in schools and to bring them to the level where most of the former model c schools are at so within that context these are the constraints and the barriers to participation that we are facing uh, today in as far as school sport is concerned. However, we are confident that with what we have managed to do with the current funding levels, we have been able to grow significantly from just uh, below 7,000 schools to, to where we are today, 15,000 schools participating on a national level. Mm. You, you do have a schools policy draft for public schools. It's, I would think it's aimed at regulating the implementation. What, does it, what exactly does it entail, this school policy draft? Well, it, it sets out uh, the framework as well as the principles, as well as role clarification. It also uh, seeks to lay down uh, the principles that school government embodies and all other role players, teachers, everybody, have got to adhere to and to follow. And is therefore a guiding principles on how uh, the school system is supposed to unfold and who has to do what and at what point. This, this policy shouldn't be confused with an implementation plan. Mm-hmm. We do have an implementation plan, which is a five-year rolling plan uh, that should see us uh, being able to implement the tenets of the policy uh, that's there. Uh, I must hasten to say that uh, there is an existing policy. 
The existing policy was uh, adopted in 2012 and published in 2013 by the Department of Basic Education. And as you are aware, we have reviewed that policy, what you call a draft, uh, it's actually a, re- a draft of the review, mm-hmm. and uh, should it be approved, it will be now a successor to the policy that has been in place uh, since 2012. I, I know you always encourage mass participation. Are you winning that battle? You said you've got a challenge with facilities. Uh, what about mass participation? What about which participation? I'm saying just, are you, are you winning the battle of mass participation to get everybody uh, involved and to get yeah, everybody certainly. playing sport? School sports, we see it as a, a bedrock of our entire development continuum. And we see it as a very critical uh, aspect of what we have to do uh, in getting everybody to participate. Our biggest challenge remains the so-called uh, intra-school, uh, where mm-hmm. children in class 4A play against children in class 4B on a Wednesday afternoon after school. This has proven quite elusive for many township schools and uh, has, uh, in a large way, prevented us from uh, the ability, has prevented us from the ability of, uh, of uh, getting everyone to actually participate because that's the cheapest form. Mm. We have seen greater competitions when we get to the district level and most schools send their children to go compete there, as well as on a provincial basis, and uh, ultimately the winning schools come into the national school uh, level. As you are aware, more and more children are beginning to participate. As the number of schools participating, so are the number of children who are reaching in terms of this uh, program. There are a few sticky challenges we still need to, we still need to address as a department, uh, considering significantly the issues pertaining to access of this learners, transportation, issues of nutrition, issues of availability of teachers who play a role of parents in local for the children playing sport, and of teachers uh, playing the role as coaches as well as uh, uh, sports managers to draw up fixtures at a local level and all of that. These are all the issues that the MOA that we signed with basic education seek to address. And uh, of the original list of 157 uh, key barriers to, to participation in school sport, we have been able to reduce that to a mere 22 issues that we still need to resolve on, and we are working hard daily to ensure that uh, we eliminate all the barriers and we, are, we are ensure that there is smooth participation on the part of the many learners uh, that are there, particularly those who come from underprivileged schools. Mm. And when it comes to to programs, DG, does each school have its own structured program or, or, or does the blueprint come from the, the, the departments on which sports or activities should be prioritized? I, I, look, globally, school sport is run by teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, teachers are the ones that certainly take initiative. Uh, a teacher at the school is everything. Uh, he's a manager, he's a coach, he's a team manager, he's a storekeeper, he's a kit manager, he's everything. He draws up uh, uh, the six chairs, uh, he invites and ensures participation, he books transport, he gets the principal to authorize, he puts it before the SGB to approve uh, funding for the school's participation. So the teacher is king in school sport. And if you do not get the teachers committed at the local level and you incentivize them for their participation and them leading the children, 
then uh, you have the situation where there are schools that have not played sport in the last 22 years. And it will not matter whether you give them facilities or you give them equipment to play or attire to play. If the teachers are not committed, you're not going to get that. And I think it is within that context that uh, we began uh, in 2014 to finance uh, SCORE, uh, Sport Coaches Outreach uh, NGO, which is training on average about 5,000 teachers a year. Uh, with the view of training them at least on the SASCO coaching framework level one as coaches and uh, in the chosen 16 codes of uh, prioritized codes for school sport we are training all these teachers and getting them accredited uh, for them to be able to coach children and to work with children in schools and we are also addressing uh, a whole variety of issues from uh, lack of physical education teachers in many of the township schools uh, to the deployment of uh, uh, a sports graduate who graduated in sports management and sports science to do work uh, after school with uh, communities and to get also Love Life as our partner to have the sport uh, groundbreakers to be deployed to schools to work with children on confidence on the many other issues that they require life skills for playing sport and to, to ensure that the participation is maximized. So certainly, yes, we are hard at work uh, at making sure that uh, we remove the barriers to participation in school sport. For those who've just joined us, uh, we are talking to the DG of the Sports and Recreation Department, Mr. Alec Muyemi, just to find out uh, what programs uh, they have uh, for schools sports. And uh, he's just giving us a breakdown of the work that they're doing with the Department of Basic Education. We did invite the Department of Basic Education, but unfortunately they could not join us on the show this evening. So we will catch up with them when they are available. DG, you mentioned um, that you are providing resources for these teachers, and I'm glad you, you touched on that. How important is it for these educators that are now responsible for these sports programs to be, to be capacitated and to be qualified and to do these courses so that they make sure they get the right information across? Well, well quite key, because school sport is a bedrock of our entire development continuum. Even if we fail, Tabiso, in many other aspects, we, we dare not fail on school sport because... If your foundation is wrong, your house is uh, totally crooked, you'll have cracks, you'll have everything, and it will never be okay. Mm. The foundation has got to be right. And the foundation means that uh, children must get the motor development skills, skills such as eye-hand coordination, which are quite critical, eye-foot coordination for almost uh, 84% of all sporting codes on offer. Children require those type of skills for them to be able to play. You can think about in a sport like uh, softball, mm-hmm. uh, the ability of the batsman to look at uh, the ball coming, judge his distance, and be able to hit it back. In cricket, in golf, in, you can think about the many codes that uh, come with that. If you do not have those skills and at an elementary and formative stages of your life as a child, you don't assimilate those type of skills it will not matter what we do with you when you are already 22. Uh, you will never be a good sports person uh, in as far as those skills are required and are concerned. And therefore, the investment we make in these teachers to be able to spot talent, to be able to nurture that talent, and to be able to develop that talent and the necessary skills for these children in future years uh, to become formative in as far as uh, being competitive in this code is quite key. And therefore... It is for that reason as well that the children that are being identified as highly, highly talented across all the 16 identified codes, they are being taken to uh, the sport-focused schools that we have accredited right across the country. And as you may know, 
Uh, in rugby, for instance, 90% of all rugby players you see on a field uh, wearing a Springbok jersey on, on any match day, 90% of them are produced just by 50 schools mm. in, in this republic. And uh, about 60% of all cricketers who wear the Proteas jersey, all of them are produced just by 40 schools. And it is within that that we have begun accrediting sport focus schools for swimming, for softball, for netball, for many other of the 16 codes to ensure that that talent is nurtured and that it can be tracked, it can be followed, and we can follow with sports science and support these children at that, those formative stages until they get on to play into the national teams. And I think you can already see that the results are beginning to play with our strategy of investing in the junior teams. You also mentioned the word incentivizing. Does that mean that these educators are remunerated financially for the work they do outside uh, they are the, uh, outside teaching, basically, the work that they do uh, on the sporting fields? No, no, it, it isn't remuneration, it is an incentive. What, what, what we say is that uh, the incentive is non-monetary at this stage. Ah. I, do, I do not think that we can actually afford that. And I'm sure mm. you are aware that... Uh, even in the main sport awards, uh, we have two categories dedicated to school sports yes. uh, in which we, we reward that. And we have lobbied strongly that in the teachers' awards, national teachers' awards run by the Department of Basic Education, there be a category of the best sports teacher to be incentivized mm. with that type of an award and recognition. And also the other incentive is that the teachers that are most committed are being rewarded by being provided with training and uh, accreditation in as far as coaching licenses and all of that, which uh, they are also able, in sports like tennis, most of those teachers are also able in many of the estates around the country to train children of the elite and the rich, uh, and they get paid for that type of thing because they now happen to be accredited. And when they are at school, they work with these children uh, without expecting these poor children to be to, to be charged and to pay. So mm. the incentives come in those type of formats and in recognition that we give where it is indeed due. Are the schools allowed to outsource these sports coaches or would you encourage them to come from within? Well, well, there are schools that really uh, actually insource and hire coaches from outside to come work in the schools. Uh, we, we, we have allowed that scenario previously. As you may know, we are amending the South African uh, and the National Sport and Recreation Act. And uh, among the amendments we are pursuing is the one around the registration and accreditation of coaches. And we also want those that are not bound by the code of conduct and who may be outside the school system but working in schools to also be subjected to vetting and to check them against the sexual offences register to ensure that unsuitable individuals do not come anywhere near sports teams and uh, near sports ch- children playing sports in schools. So all of that is, is in the pipeline, but we have allowed for that scenario where SGBs have sufficient resources, uh, particularly in more affluent schools, uh, to be able to hire coaches from outside to work within the school system. Mm. And physical education, how important a part of, of these programs, of this car- curriculum is physical education? I remember a couple of years ago, there was even a Sports Schools Wednesdays that was launched. Indeed. As, as you are aware of the three uh, pillars of our school sports system, physical education is their core pillar. And uh, we have advocated for this to happen. Our difficulty has always been that within the curriculum of uh, basic education, there was a time previously where physical education was a standalone subject. Yes. 
Right now, it forms part of the compendium of the menu of offerings within the subject uh, life orientation. And within that, uh, you would find that previously there were irritations of where some teachers don't really focus on it and focus on other offerings within that compendium. But we have now agreed with basic education, and you will also see from the draft that we have now made it compulsory that all schools have got to do that offering of physical education. And even more importantly, the guidelines that now basic education has issued and also the joint MINMAC uh, between our two departments have issued as a directive to all schools and the Department of Sport and Education in provinces is that at least two hours a week be dedicated towards physical education on a Wednesday. Uh, that should be able to complement the Sports Wednesday program. And this uh, has to be done uh, at no expectation of an additional uh, over time or any other type of uh, financial compensation on the part of the teachers as it is part of what is considered co-curricular activities. And you have, DG, what seems to be a successful national schools champs every year. I've been to those. Just give us a breakdown. How, do, how does this work and how does it culminate in those national champs towards the end of the year? Well, wh- what we do is that typically uh, schools in the same locality have got to compete against each other on a knockout basis. And uh, these schools do participate, but as you are aware, particularly in farm areas and also township schools where there is no budget for school sport, mm. what we do is we, we do what we call a local festival, which uh, over a two-day period, uh, children from all these schools are passed to one area, and they then play on that day, and the winners then go on to what is called a district uh, uh, championship within uh, all these 53 districts of our country have those district championships and we also send manage- managers from uh, our own department to go monitor that indeed the provinces are having the district championships after the district the best performing schools go on to compete at the provincial championship and uh, and yes you may be aware then ultimately that uh, culminates in the winners of each province coming to the national championship which you have attended. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's only unfortunate that when the lower tiers of this thing play, there's quite little interest and nobody really goes except for the parents who accompany their kids to there. But the only time media really reports about us and widely and publishes widely is when the National School Sport Championship happens and because largely the minister is going there to open the championship and they follow her and they are there and we are able to report about what we do. But certainly, that's why we can tell you with certainty that of the registered schools, we now have uh, in excess of 13,000 schools participating in this championship from the local festivals to the district to the province and ultimately the cream of the crop come into the national championship and who can forget the championship of 2012 where a massive 11,718 learners both primary schools and uh, high schools were there and just by comparison the Rio Olympics just had 3,815 athletes so you can see the ambition with which we have and how big we are opening this up to ensure that uh, we get as more uh, as possible the opportunity given to the children. Mm. And what's in it for these children, for these learners at these national champs? Is there also talent identification programs here? Do you place them at these at this sports-focused schools? Are there bursaries for them? Yes, we do. So we place them at the sport-focused schools. We are still ramping up these schools. Right now we have uh, in excess of 240 schools uh, registered. We want to run this to 890 of the 25,000 schools to be sport-focused schools in the next five years. 
And uh, we also support those schools by provision of uh, equipment, attire, uh, facilities, as well as uh, uh, grants where necessary. And the learners themselves, we provide them with a ministerial sports bursary who are identified as mostly talented to be placed in these schools. That ministerial sports bursary uh, covers uh, everything. It's a wall-to-wall bursary full uh, cover, and it's to the maximum of 100,000 rand per learner per year. And uh, up to now, we have seen uh, uh, in excess of uh, 200 uh, youngsters having gone through that bursary scheme. And currently, the load we are keeping, we have uh, 83 of these learners on that bursary scheme right now. Uh, that's good to hear. And finally, DJ, there's just an SMS here from uh, I'm not from Daniel who wants to know: Is golf part of these programs at schools? What about golf? Do you have programs for golf? Golf is not a school sport code. Uh, however, and uh, however, we do have a golf development program. It's named after the struggle stalwart in Drumlangeni, oh, yes. and we have the the Drumlangeni. Okay, so as I said, we basically a protagonist for the state. So we're working partnership with the Department of Education to advance the agenda around the implementation of curriculum oriented education. Uh, but before I go into further detail, uh, the premise that DG of Sports and Education on which spoke just now and give a brief and, and a political view on, on what is the position of both DBE and SRSA, I have to reinforce what he has said. Um, based on hierarchy and, and all that. Thing. So it's, it's just to support what he said, and then we'll just go into detail about what we do in advocating for the implementation of curriculum-oriented technical education in partnership with the Department of Education. He also said that physical education, it existed in, uh, in the schools in the early 90s as a standalone subject and then was reduced to a learning outcome of a new subject called life orientation in 2000. Is that accurate? It's on a timeline um, and, and on a superficial level, yes, that's correct. So mm-hmm. if you're looking at it historically and saying, yes, on this particular time, this was removed. But you always have to remember that the social context of South Africa um, necessitated curriculum reform. And part of that reform meant that change from apartheid-based physical education or education to a more citizenship-based um, education. So it, it, it had to change the concept of primary physical education and so that was what basically happened in that if you look at the rationale behind why physical education was placed within life orientation, um, the irony is that we often make a joke about that most people don't see that physical education is life orientation. So if you're looking at the components of life orientation itself, you start noting, for example, personal development is what you get from physical education. Health promotion is what you get from physical education. Social development is what you get from physical education. So it's, it's encompassed, but it's, it's the stretching of the content in order to explain it that has led to discourse and debates, academic arguments. But yes, you're correct mm. on a timeline fact that yes, it has been removed as a standalone subject. But the standalone subject also remember P94 that not all schools and not all educators were offered physical education, not all teachers who went to teacher college were taught physical education. So there's a lot of things that are said in passing to say it used to be, but the used to be is not just about the subject itself, it's about the system that we have to look at. Mm. And that's part of what we do in, in trying to elaborate and clarify some of those things that talking about the history of physical education is as important as its future, but we can't speak about the history of physical education in in, in, in some times and saying it used to be mm-hmm. and alone and this is what it used to be. It has to be a clear indication of what the transformation of the curriculum was, what the need was within education to actually do curriculum reform. And as, as we speak, 
Okay, let's hope that our line holds on for the last three minutes. There have been a number of symposiums held that looking at how to reintroduce physical education. Is it back on the curriculum? Is it compulsory now across South African schools? So by virtue of being in the curriculum, it's automatically compulsory. Uh-huh. One of the things, the symposia was serving as a to clarify. So I remember the, the first one we did in 2015 was to highlight and indicate that physical education is within the curriculum. It might have been rephrased. I mean, the name had changed from movement education to now physical education as stipulated. But there's a lot of things that need to be sorted out. And the symposium is basically there to engage with those within the education space primarily those that are registered educators and their subject nutrition specialists to address some of the gaps that we are seeing systemically. So clarify that it's, it's, there's an act in place, there's an educators act, there's a safe act that stipulates who's supposed to teach physical education and what those requirements are. And, and, and so the same way as DG mentioned that coaches have to be registered and, and, and vetted, the teachers go through the same process and those that teach physical education as uh, certified as life orientation teachers are the same things that we have to look into. Mm. I saw on your website you've got the 2019 Physical Education Day and Month coming up. When is yes. that and wh- what activities do you do? So again, for uh, I think the Minister of Basic Education allowed us to actually celebrate Education Month, which starts from the 6th of April until the 10th of May. And you'll start noting those are linked to national and international trends around um, uh, movement days and all those things. And physical education is on the 10th of May. So in every year we try to celebrate the things that have been achieved in different uh, schools in different provinces. I mean, last year we, we specifically had a in Cape and had the first life orientation te- uh, physical education teacher award to celebrate those teachers teaching physical education within their schools um, with what they have, with the knowledge that they have, with the resources that they have within their facility. Some supervisors had to take the lead in identifying and setting a criteria similar to that of the teachers' awards to just start the trend. Um, so for this year, we intend to do it in more provinces instead of what we constantly used to do in the past of having a symposium for a national symposium. Now we're trying to have provincial symposia um, in partnership with the provincial departments of education um, to address those particular guests that he's talking about. And okay. making sure that they lead in that space. Okay, Mr. Mpaka, we're going to have to leave it there, but thank you very much uh, for finding time to speak to us from the Physical Education Institute of South Africa, and that's the founder, Mr. Nomen Mpaka. Thank you. And we really do apologize for the lines. We really, really, especially this uh, last interview, we tried to get him on on a, be- on a, on a, on a better line and uh, our apologies uh, for that. But you can check them out. They've got a website, Physical Education Institute of South Africa. They're called PESA, P-E-I-S-A. Uh, that's their website. You can find all the information that you need there. And he says that the um, Physical Education Day and Month will be celebrated from the 6th of April up until the 10th of May. So you're involved. If you're involved with schools and sports, uh, do make sure you make a note of that from the 6th of April to the 10th of May. We're going to continue the series to find out what's happening in school sports. Tomorrow we're going to talk about football. Uh, remember the last time we spoke about football in schools there was a big fight between uh, SAFA and the South African Schools Football Association. They'd gone to court and a lot of people are not sure where that fight is because uh, they seem to be uh, fighting for the battle to run schools football in the country and it seemed to be affecting uh, and we thought that it would affect the kids if the men in suits are fighting and they're going to court so we are not sure how far that that that, that, that court case is. Uh, it had gone to arbitration the last time we spoke, so we'll revisit that tomorrow. But our time is up. Up next is The Viewpoint with Mr. Ashraf Gada, and tonight's big hitter is COPE leader Musiwa Terra Likota.